time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. City to episode 45 of the Batman podcast brought to you by me Batman and my co-host Batman we're here to talk about the latest film celebrating my amazing abs and all the times I've saved the city again it was off the chain so thanks for being here like you should because I'm Batman well listeners if you can't tell we are extremely happy to be talking about the Lego Batman movie and just like Batman, we're so glad that you're here with us and for what we think is going to be a really fun episode and a really good conversation. <laughs> you held that in longer than I thought you would. I, okay. Well, you started cracking up. So I, I just did. I maintained my composure. No, you didn't. You totally Play didn't. Play the tape. Play the tape. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so before we, uh, we keep going. And, uh, you know, that's just a little taste of what you're probably going to get this episode. That's that's how this movie makes us feel. And that's what the show is about. Dang it. Um, so but, but let's <laughs> let's do a couple of housekeeping things first and get those out of the way. Um, first, I just want to say uh, a reminder that the Feeler's Choice Awards are currently being voted on. You can find a link to that in our Facebook group and also on our website, feelinfilm.com. Under the blog category, uh, we really do want input from as many of you as possible. Voting is open through February the 21st, and the awards will be announced on our social media pages alongside their Oscar counterparts on February the 26th, I believe. Aaron, we've got... <clears throat> oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had something in my throat. My bad. You had Excuse a me. Batman in your throat. I had a Batman in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> The pit of despair. <laughs> no, we're not doing that one, Ari. Uh, we have quite a few votes already, and I'm so grateful for just how interactive this community is becoming. I, I really, I can't wait to see the results. I've been avoiding them until the end, so I honestly don't know what's winning right now. The other note is just about the Facebook group. For those of you that do use Facebook, it's it's a really awesome place to come talk movies with other film lovers. And you'll be making friends and discovering great new movies to watch before you know it. We'd love to have you and your thoughts on film be a part of this great community. And links to that group are available in the show notes and on the website, feelinfilm.com. Or you can just search and find us pretty easily. Well, Patrick, if that's it, I guess we should just kick this thing off like we usually do by talking about what we've been up to lately. 
So what have you been watching? Well, I've been watching and reading, actually, this last week. Um, I had a chance to to have some downtime. I mentioned last week, I think, that my uh, my family was out of town. So I popped in a movie, and by popped in, I mean I clicked play on my streaming service. That almost sounded like old school, like VHS. I know. It was a Bajas. I had the Bajas going. No. It was a, it's a movie called The Family Fang, and I don't know if it's the directorial. Did you just say The Family Fang? Not thang. Is that like a urban <laughs> comedy? No. That thing we do or that thing no, you do? No. The this family thing. thing. It's a family thing. Sorry. This sounds like a very, very big hit pop song for me. I'll shut up. I thought up. I was going to I was gonna make this like real short and sweet. <laughs> fang, as in like the fangs of a vampire. That's much scarier than my version. It's not a horror movie. It's like kind of a dramedy, a drama comedy. And it's directed by Jason Bateman. And it also stars Jason Bateman, Nicole Kidman, and a favorite of mine, Mr. Christopher Walken. He's the guy that inspires all of my impressions that you guys get the, uh, I'll reluctantly say, the pleasure of hearing on this show. But it's about this family who grows up where these two parents played by uh, played by Chris Walken, and I cannot remember who plays his wife, uh, unfortunately. I'm sorry. And w- these guys are performance artists. And what they've done is this couple have they've kind of recruited their kids to be a part of this performance art. And really, it's just kind of what the world considers glorified pranks, ways in which to make them, I don't know. It's it <laughs> to the world it feels like a prank, but to this family, at least to the parents, it feels like performance art. For example, they have their kids playing really bad guitar in a park, trying to get money uh, to get people to give money, and the parents come in as bystanders and start ridiculing them and telling them they have terrible songwriting skills and why are they even out here? Just as an example. <laughs> so it's kind of like that show that uh, there's a show on TV, a reality show that does something similar to that. That's uh. I forgot what it's called, but it's, it's, it's all about like, what would you do? You know, if you saw this happening. Right. But, but it's, but it's not just about, it's not just about embarrassing their kids or whatever. That's really more of a byproduct. The, the whole movie though is, is about the kids as grownups and having to sort of reacquaint themselves with that relationship with their, with their parents. They've had this kind of a strange relationship. Jason Bateman and Nicole Kidman end up kind of having to, come back into that relationship with them. And so the back half of the movie deals with this odd relationship and how they've had to kind of deal with that. And for, for me, whenever I watched it, it, it didn't grab me at first, but when it got to that portion where they started kind of dealing with what their parents had done to them as far as not just make, not just embarrassing them, but just kind of putting them through these things for the sake of art and elevating art over their kind of relationship with their children. It's an interesting tale of how, you know, how, you know, a dysfunctional family uh, looks. And on top of that, just helps, you know, with this absurd kind of mentality or this absurd kind of uh, plot going on. What got me was the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there is a decision that's made between the parents and the kids that is just completely like, for me, jaw, it was jaw-dropping. I was like, I cannot believe that decision was made. And what it did was it really amplified everything else that was going on in the movie. Um, I was really impressed with 
with Jason Bateman's directorial. I don't think it was his debut. I don't know if he's directed more stuff than this, but this is the first movie that I've seen that he that that he's directed. Uh, but seeing him and Nicole Kidman together, uh, they have great chemistry. Chris Walken is great in this, and uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's called The Family Fang, F A N G, like the fangs of a vampire. <laughs> the other one is a little just bit a more family thing. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Just a family thing. Gosh, we're we're gonna edit that, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna edit that part out, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a chance to get some reading done. There was a seven issue miniseries that came out uh, maybe about seven months ago, and it's called Superman American Alien. It's written by a guy named, named Max Landis. He was a director of a movie called Chronicle. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. And I didn't know a lot about him apart from that movie. He also directed um, what's the movie with Jesse Eisenberg? He plays a. Uh, <laughs> he and Batman uh, v Superman. No, 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 not that one. He and Kristen Stewart play a couple, and they're kind of stoned out. Um, uh, it's called Adventureland, and it's amazing. No, it's not. It's called American Ultra, actually. <laughs> Where Jer- does anyway. mine actually have Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg too? Though it might, but and this I think is they're about stoned the- out. That's cre- okay. that's a little creepy. Go- carry on. <laughs> In this one, Jesse Eisenberg actually gets. Tr- he's a. He's a secret agent, and he doesn't realize that he's a sleeper cell agent. Anyway, whew, we're digressing. So anyway, Max Landis, the guy that directed that movie, put together the seven-issue miniseries, and it's it's about the life of Clark Kent. And he's really very specific about saying this is not about Superman. It's about Clark Kent. Each issue deals with uh, Clark growing up as a little kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. And the way that the story progresses, it tells a different part of his upbringing leading up into adulthood. But what makes it really interesting is each issue as it came out, and now in this collected hardcover, was illustrated by a different artist to sort of reflect that change in different portions of his life. So you've got guys like Nick DeGrada, um, You've got uh, Jay Lee, Francis Manipal, Jock, Jonathan Case, guys that I've really, really enjoyed uh, when I read comics who are a part of this collection. And the story itself is just phenomenal. I read the first three. I haven't gotten through the last four yet, but um, I've started this, and it's it's just really, really good. It, it, it's a different kind of Superman story, which I think a lot of people like to see, a different kind of Superman story, at least one told uh, that's not it, – it, it's not an origin story even though it kind of is, but it's not the origin story that you're used to. So I'd recommend it. It's available in hardcover and I believe it's trade paperback as well, but Superman American alien by Max Landis and company. Awesome. I got to say, and I'll probably mention this again later in the podcast, but I'm having a hankering for some comics right now. And I can't really say what uh, might've inspired that, but I have no idea. Something just out of the blue made me want to read some comics. So, could it be someone's abs? <laughs> it, might, it might be. But I wouldn't be reading a Superman comic. I'd be reading a Batman comic. Because Batman would. is the best. <coughs> Excuse me. I had something in my throat. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. What have you been up to this week, Aaron? Well, I have actually been diving into some blind spots uh, in my filmography history. So one of my long-term goals is to complete the AFI Top 100 Films list, the most recent one that they came out with. 
I've always kind of used that as a measuring stick for the the films that I haven't seen. And there's, you know, quite a few. For the longest time, I was sitting at about, you know, 20 out of 100. I've actually, last time I looked, gotten that up to, I believe, 59 out of 100. So I've, I've made some good progress. And several of those came this week. Four, in fact, came this week. The most recent one I watched was The Sixth Sense. I watched that this afternoon. Uh, I've, I've put this off for a long time, obviously. I mean, it's, gosh, I don't know, what, 25 years old, 27 years old, something like that now. And the reason was, was because I knew the ending. <laughs> I, you know, there's no, there's no way I was going to go 25 years without having this movie spoiled. So I knew how it ended. I knew what the twist was. And I just figured, you know, how good could this be if it's built upon this incredible twist that really launched this guy's career? But since it's on that list, I, I kind of have to watch it. And so I was like, eh, it's a shorter film. Fits in that kind of sweet spot time frame. A lot of times I'll have about an hour and a half to watch something, not have two full hours. And so I look for these films, and sure enough, this one was one of those. But I got to tell you, first reaction is that I still loved it. I thought it was incredibly well made. Uh, it was just the the building of it up to the twist was so meticulously put together. And it still paid off for me. Uh, even even knowing what was coming, I was able to take the story for kind of what it was without being, you know, without the twist ruining it for me uh, or, or making me view it differently. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was incredible. And I can see why the film is so high on people's lists, why it's considered an all-time great. And I feel like had I actually experienced this movie, like most people, where I walk out of the theater completely just in shock, I think it would be as high on my list. But, you know, having already known and now gone through many of Shyamalan's films, I feel like it wasn't as big of a deal for me. So I kind of missed the boat on that one, unfortunately. But definitely a really good movie. Uh, I I did enjoy it. I liked it as well. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It's one that it's very rare that you've seen something that I haven't when we're talking like, you know, well-known popular movies. Yeah. I gave myself bonus points when you weren't looking. No, uh, we have a, we have a scoreboard. <laughs> we do I, now, I didn't right? know we had a scoreboard listeners. Um, <laughs> so the other, the other three, uh, I'm going to touch on each one just briefly. Uh, one is the exorcist. So this is a film that, my buddy over at the Fear of God podcast, Reed Lackey, really champions. This is his favorite film of all time. That podcast is doing their next episode on The Exorcist. And when it comes to horror movies in the last, I'd say, year, the Fear of God podcast has a lot of times informed my viewings because I'm like, oh, man, I want to listen to their talk, so I need to go finally catch up with this movie. And that's happened many times already, and it's happening again because I want to listen to their conversation, and so I had to go check it out. Um, I've put off the exorcist because I have a strong sensitivity to spiritual horror or horror that deals with the spiritual realm. Um, and then I also have a hard time with horror that deals with kids. So this is kind of like the, you know, apex (laughs) of those two things put together. Um, the only other thing I could think of that may be worse 
is The Omen, and I don't think I will ever revisit that movie because it scared the living creeps out of me like when I was a kid. I just, I, I can't, I remember being so terrified of The Omen. Um, you know, and, and of course my, my personal beliefs kind of inform this as well because I believe in these things. These things are very real to me. I believe in this world. So I was expecting a different thing with The Exorcist. I was not expecting the first hour of this film to be all about trying to disprove that this person was possessed. I love that. That it's it's a big part of the reason why one of my favorite horror films is The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is part horror film and part courtroom drama, and it goes and does the same thing. It's it's all about trying to reason away what you're seeing in a possession. They're trying to medically explain it. And I thought that was almost as terrifying as anything that happened to the girl, seeing her going through these spinal taps and these medical procedures and, and knowing the whole time as a viewer that you're not going to get anywhere with this. You're, you're putting through her, her through this incredibly awful experience when in reality we know that that's not what the issue is. Um, I loved how the film ended. Uh, it was very impactful for me personally. And I thought it was a very pro-Christian message uh, in a lot of ways. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I thought it handled the material with uh, great care, great sensitivity, uh, and just it, it provided a lot of food for thought. And I expect to be revisiting that one, actually, um, despite it scaring me to death while I was watching it. Very cool. Have you seen that one? No. Oh. Well, no, I take that back. Yes, when I was way too young to watch it. And uh, it's not one that I will revisit for many of the reasons that you mentioned. And also me and horror, that it's not a good romance. Yeah, I, well, I kind of I guessed that. And that's actually something that's, you know, a very interesting aspect of how I took this film now. Watching it for the first time as an adult, you know, it, I can view this movie in a different way than if I was a teenager or a kid. And I think seeing it for the first time now, I'm able to appreciate it as a, as a filmmaking from a filmmaking standpoint, more than just the shocks of the horrific scenes that we see with heads spinning around in circles and green vomit and stuff like that. Right on, right on. That also, affected my viewing for the next film that I was going to mention, which is Psycho. I had never seen this one. <laughs> have you seen Psycho? I have seen Psycho. Okay, good. So most people have. Most people give me the stare of like, are you kidding me, Aaron, when I you know, mention this? But this is good because this ticks off one of my Hitchcock Challenge films for the year. And I knew nothing about this, Patrick. I went into this movie knowing nothing other than having seen the shower scene uh, previously many times, of course, because it's iconic, but I had no context around that scene. I knew that there was a guy named Norman Bates and I knew that he had a mother and I vaguely thought there was some weird thing going on between him and the mother, but I didn't know any details. Um, and I was really kind of blown away by, again, the craftsmanship of this film and how it was put together. And I could totally understand the praise and the the reasons that people were so enamored with this 
movie and it's it's something of a you know it really is a piece of art it's a masterpiece being the first type of uh, effort from someone like Hitchcock who created the story I mean the, we go through the first again half of this film and it's all about one thing it's all about I almost hate to spoil it in case there's randomly someone else out there like me who doesn't know but um you know there's this we go through it with this one character who we think it's going to be about the whole movie and it's this one plot that's taking place with this character and then it completely changes everything about halfway through the film and it's not about that anymore it's comp- it's about something totally different you know once she's dead and i mean that's not a spoiler that's the iconic scene but once she's been killed in that shower i didn't realize that you know that was the equivalent as my friend told me of jennifer lawrence being in a movie for an hour today in today's day and then being murdered and completely gone out of the story. Like it's just now about something else. You know, now it's about this bit actor who we'd never heard of. And it's like, wow. So I really appreciated psycho and, and thought it was an incredibly uh, well put together movie, but I didn't love, love it from an enjoyment standpoint standpoint. So, I mean, I hope that makes sense. I just, I, I was able to see it for its greatness, but yet it's not, like going to be one of my favorites that I revisit all the time. Understood. Yeah, it's definitely that same way for me. And I'll have to, I'd like to revisit it to see if my opinion changes of it, but you know, it's, it's good and it deserves the accolades that it gets, but it's just not necessarily my cup of tea. Yeah. Similar. And I think, and again, kind of like not seeing this one until now, I have a whole different approach than I might've when I was a teenager. So the other one that I watched, um, I also knew nothing about, and that is 12 Angry Men. Now, I know you've seen this one. I have, I yes. know you're a fan. Uh, that's you, an understatement. I knew you enjoyed it going into it. So I knew nothing other than, you know, it probably had 12 Angry Men in it, but I, I didn't know that it was a courtroom drama. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know anything. Spoiler. <laughs> Let me tell you, man, this was one of those experiences that, I, this was this was kind of like a La La Land experience for me. This was a jaw to the floor, the entire movie long, mesmerized, completely sucked in, um, emotional, just roller coaster going the whole th- film. You know, left me chewing on things and thinking about the ideas that were presented and and the characters and and what each of them represented. Um, I adore this movie. Uh, It is absolutely going to be an all time favorite. It is one that I already like, I'm, I'm anxious to revisit it. I want to get the criterion as fast as possible. Watch all the extras, um, see it again. I, I just, I loved it. I think it was quite possibly the best script I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it was that good of a script and conversely, or, you know, also I thought that it had a strange relevance to today yet being a movie from gosh, I don't even remember 1957 is when this came out. Um, and here we are in a room with these people watching these men and as they're, kind of hidden prejudices and their biases and their, their racisms, um, start to 
kind of slowly show themselves and be exposed. It's it's very much like the world we live in today, uh, where we present this outward picture of ourselves. Um, it you know there's several characters in this that are in such a hurry to convict the the uh, person that's on trial that they're they're jurors for because they want to get to the ball game in an hour and a half. Like, I mean, this is a man's life. He's going to be being put to death if they convict him. And they're more concerned with how quickly we can just open and shut, close it and get out of there and go on with our own life. And that kind of thought, unthoughtful, selfish type of living um, exists is rampant in this world. And so I, I just, it was a heartbreaking film. Um, it also offered a lot of hope through the juror number eight who really fights this battle alone for a long time and starts to try and convince the others. And I don't want to keep going because I eventually want us to do an episode on this. I do and, too. And get I deep into it. But I, I got to tell you, man, this is this is one of the best movies I've ever seen, and I'm so glad I was introduced to it. Well, I, I, I'm glad to hear that, and it makes me want to watch it again, but I don't want to watch it so soon knowing that we will probably cover it at some point because I, I want to, I want to experience it again with the episode on the tail end of that. So let's get it on the schedule at some point. And make yep, it I, I will wait as well, but, um, maybe a mini yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to find a way to work it in because no, I think it is, no, it needs to be a full line because we, we're going to have a connecting point. I got to believe we've got to have a connecting point. Oh yeah, I would agree. Definitely, definitely have a connecting point. And I think, I think it's one that, will be good to do because a lot of people will have seen it and also well, some people will have seen it, but a lot of people will have not. And, uh, and this hopefully will get the word out there that this is a film everybody needs to see. It really Agreed. is. And I, I mean, I don't say that about a lot of movies, but this is one of those that I would say that about. Yep. And this is not to be confused with the remake back in like the early nineties or late eighties. This is yeah. the 1950s version. That's good. Yep. All right. So that's that. And now we can uh, move on because I think Batman's staring at us. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, I'm excited to get into this, but as always, we have our traditional and obligatory spoiler warning. We're going to be spoiling everything in this movie from the very beginning all the way up to the very end because there is so much to talk about. So if you haven't seen this, please hit that pause button, uh, hit the theater, or if it's come out on you know video by the time you're tuning into this, pop that baby in. If it's on VHS, it's probably not. And then uh, come back and join us for this great discussion. If Donald Trump hasn't like shut down the internet and our podcast isn't available anymore. <laughs> I'm hopeful. You never know. Be the case. You never know. Never know. Well, Patrick, what do you think? Yes, sir. What do you think of the movie? Man, let me tell you, there's something about a movie experience that leaves you just with, with these just good feelings and from the moment i mean from the moment the title of the production studio from the black screen from the moment we hear we hear we hear will arnett's voice being completely like meta about <laughs> saying a black movie that start with a black screen are important you know that kind of stuff <laughs> I was already just giggling in my seat. And from that moment, I was just, I was ready. Because 
you know, sometimes things, you know, movies that I like movies that have a slow burn that they kind of gradually lead me into like, oh yeah, that's when I really liked it. But I just, I love that from the very beginning, the, the movie just takes on this campy, we're going to have some fun. It's almost like just this announcement that it gives to you. Like, are you ready to have fun? Because if you're not, you need to leave the theater now because we're not holding anything back. And I just, I had such a great time with it from the story to the, the different voice actors that were, that were playing the different characters, all the different, all the different like, uh, Easter eggs that were in there. It, it, it was just, it's one of those movies that you just enjoyed experiencing, enjoyed being there. Um, I'm going to go see it with my family, hopefully later this week. And I really, really hope my son digs it because I, I want him to to laugh out loud with me because I'm going to be laughing out loud again, even knowing what's coming up with each scene. But I just had a fantastic time with it. It was so much fun. How about you? Same. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> ditto. Um, I am a Batman fan. Batman is my guy. Um, always has been my favorite superhero. I'm ready to go read some Batman comics right now. Um, I, I dropped comics a couple years back, and I've, I've it just it's one of the hobbies that I have not had time to keep up with because I have so many interests and not enough time. But I went in with tempered expectations. To be honest with you, I wasn't thrilled with the trailers. I thought that they were somewhat funny. There were some good moments in them but they didn't really give me a sense of really what the story was going to be about. And I feared that it was just going to be a big Batman and Robin joke. I was also a little nervous because the Lego movie seemed to be, I mean, it was so unexpected and I, and I thought maybe that could have been them catching lightning in a bottle. And, and was this really something that could be, reproduced and expanded on, um, you know, taking a bit character from that film and giving him his own movie as much as I love Batman. That also made my, you know, need for it to be good higher. So like you, I'm, I'm sitting there and I had my kids with me and we had all been excited about it. And from the moment <laughs> that those credits started, you're right. It just, puts you in a different headspace. The grin comes over your face. You settle in and you realize right away, I'm in for something different. I'm in mm-hmm. for something special. Just, just like, and there's not very many movies that do this with the credits. Deadpool comes to mind um, mm-hmm. because Deadpool has a very special credits where it's making fun of all of the different jobs instead of like calling them director, you know, or screenwriter, it, they're like jokes. And so, and because Deadpool's very meta, the entire film is, um, mm-hmm. as is the character. And so when this one did that, I was like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And you know, it just keeps going. And I don't remember what it was at Rat Pack or Rat's Pack or Rat Racers. And he's like, Rat Pack oh, yeah. logo. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what this is, but, but it looks pretty cool. But the logo looks cool. My you know, favorite, I, my favorite, my favorite part was when he goes Warner Bros. Warner I mean, Bros. Brothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and actually, that was the first moment that my daughter leaned over and repeated the joke, whispering it in my ear, and laughed. And both of my kids, this is an interesting thing that happened to me, ended up sitting 
against me, like tilted and leaning up against my shoulders. And it was because they both wanted to constantly repeat back, whispering like the quotes and laughing into me. And, you know, we were, <laughs> that's great. And, and, and that's never happened before in a movie. Um, but it was just, it was so constant. And the opening of this film, when we went through our Christopher Nolan month, which, you know, we just wrapped up, we talked about this specifically in Inception and The Dark Knight, how Nolan had this way of making amazing opening sequences. And The Dark Knight being Batman films are a great example. Both The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, well, I guess all three, not both, all three of that trilogy have very kind of unique opening opening fight scenes or, or, or action uh, that happens. And this kind of plays on that, right? I mean, right off the bat, we get him, you know, with the plane and the bombs. And then mm-hmm. we get like these, th- because as soon as it happens, I'm, I, all of us, we're all going, Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and, and it just, it never stops. From that moment on, it is literally an endless parade of jokes. And what, what surprised me the most was that it kept hitting on them mm-hmm. though all the way through the film. I mean, yeah. I don't know how it did it. I really don't. There, I, I expect that some people may have gotten a little bit tired out or exhausted by the pacing and the amount of referential material. But for mm-hmm. me, as a Batman fan, the fact that they literally crammed every single iteration of Batman into this character and into this mm-hmm. film as references... Dude, it was awesome. It was yeah, amazing experience, and, and the kids loved it too. I agree with you, and and I'm a you know I'm a self proclaimed Superman fan, which you know maybe in some weird world that means that I can't like anything Batman, but I don't live in that world. <laughs> I live in a world where I can appreciate incredible storytelling of great superhero characters, and I can't wait to to get into that that part of it. But the thing that I I want to address what you were saying with, with with the pacing. I absolutely agree. There were a ton of jokes, like almost like back to back to back to back to back to back to back. The thing that made those jokes tolerable is the fact that there was there were breaks. There were moments in the story where you could breathe, and the story continued to progress forward. It wasn't just a series of stand up comedy that were that we were doing of Will Arnett doing his best, you know, hokey campy Batman voice mixed in with jokes here and there to say, Hey, let's refer to this. Let's refer to that. Those things existed, but they were blended really well with a balance of moments of, okay, I'm going to breathe a little bit. And I think it's the same way with, and I'm speaking very, very distantly about horror. Maybe you can talk to this, that good horror doesn't leave you in a tense place all the time, that there's places where you can relax and breathe so that you have a chance to kind of, kind of reacclimate can refresh a little bit so you can kind of get ready for those next, you know, scary scenes or jump scares or whatever. And I think that this did the same thing on a comedic level. Had it continued all the way through, which is one of the issues I kind of had in some places with the Lego movie. I felt like it was incredibly fast mm-hmm. and that I missed jokes and I was like, wait, wait, what, what, what were they saying? And then it would slow down for a minute and then it would get back really fast. I think this was a, a better uh, execution of that type of story because I think the same thing happened here where you had jokes, slow down, jokes, slow down, jokes, slow down. But the story itself felt very, very much, it felt better paced for me instead of, you know, as opposed to the Lego movie, um, 
both were really good. I really enjoyed the Lego movie, but this one, I think, like you mentioned, they took a risk by saying, we're going to focus on one character, a popular character, a character that is very, very well received, and we're going to take a risk by throwing all this stuff at you. And for a guy who um, who loves comics, who loves uh, the, the Dark Knight and Superman and all this stuff, I just... I adored it. I, I just thought it was great. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how they do it. To be honest, the, the animation doesn't get the love that it deserves. And you know, the Lego Movie was famously left out of the Oscar contention um, after I believe winning the Golden Globe, or maybe it was hashtag just, crying shame. Right? Oscars so Pixar. But um, <laughs> seriously, like if, if the animation in this is as good as you know any other animation that we've seen. And, and, I, and I say that honestly. I don't mean – I'm not going to compare it and rank it and say, oh, it's better than you know Laika and their Kubo animation But because they're different types of animation. But for what this mm-hmm. is, it is amazing and, and very yeah. special. Um, and that <laughs> – the opening – gosh, the first 30 minutes is just balls to the wall nonstop mm-hmm. craziness. Um, and I, I think that uh, – I really was also a little worried because I didn't I didn't know if they could if Will Arnett, you know, is voicing this character the whole time, you know. This would never happen in an actual movie, in a live action movie where one character would be on the screen as the superhero for the entire runtime, but it, it happens here. You know, we don't we're not getting non I don't remember more than maybe a couple non-Batman scenes. He's he's there. He's ever present. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be able to mix that up and the supporting cast is what did that. I, I couldn't believe it when I went back and looked at some of the names of the people that, that were playing these characters. It, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it, there were just so many famous names. Um, Doug Benson was Bane. I thought it was, I thought it was Tom Hardy to be honest with you. Like I mean, he <laughs> sounded just like, you know, he sounded just like Bane. Um, and, and some of the other ones as well, they, they sounded just like their characters. Now, Superman, you know, and, uh, Green Lantern were reprisal roles, uh, from before. And I, the way that it blended all, <laughs> I mean, when you look at the, the lineup, right. Of the characters, mm-hmm. you look at this cast of, of how many superheroes are in this film and, uh, it's mind boggling. You have to step back for a second. You go, how did that work? How in the world did that work? Because I think, but I think what the, the Lego animated world allows you to do is unlike a live action film, you don't have to give all of these guys arcs for us to feel satisfied. So I feel like in a civil war, right? Movie. If you're not giving me all of those actual characters, an arc. If they're just kind of thrown in there for the battle and to make a quip, I don't enjoy that as much, but man, I enjoyed it here. Right. You feel cheated in a live action. Whereas in an animation, it feels like, um, an extra punch to the joke that gets it better. And I think that that really worked here. And to me, two things I want to mention regarding the animation. I think what makes this animation, I'm not going to call it superior, but very much, in a in a in a league of its own is the fact that I admittedly confess that when I saw the Lego movie, I thought it was stop animation because of the attention to detail that these animators 
had in making this feel like you were making stop animation. Lego Batman did the same thing. Of course, I mean, there was a lot, a little bit more fluidity to it, but when you, when you take care in a, in, in an animation department like that, when you, when you say, look, we're going to make this movie, we're going to use our digital resources, but we need to hold true to the tribute to the, to the idea of stop animation, because that's kind of how Legos live. Lego, Lego toys live in a place of stop animation. And I think that that was done very successfully. And then you mentioned the voice cast and we've got Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum, Michael Cera, um, Jenny Slate, Adam Devine, Billy D Williams playing two face. I mean, there are just, when you get an all-star cast like this, I think that's where you're, where your strength is because now you've got actors who are playing off of each other vocally. But as you mentioned before, you have all these other like tertiary characters, some made up, some not that don't have to necessarily have full on storylines that they just become more a part of the over overall story that really just enhance it. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And you know, God bless them (laughs) for, for writing this. I, I don't know who these people are, you know, these are not um, well-known Hollywood folks. This isn't like a, who, who's the guy who's in charge of Pixar? Is it is it Pete Doctor? Why is that name coming? Or no, Andrew Strange, Andrew Strange or something. Andrew Stanton. Goodness gracious, took me a second there you to go. get there. There you go. But like an Andrew Stanton who is known for writing several of the best animated films that have ever come out. Right? These aren't the people that are behind this. Um. They may be now. <laughs> they may be now. At least they are for me. Um, the I love that Batman carries over as a character. I feel like his arc continues because in Lego Movie he is a uh, very egotistical Batman. He's very overconfident Batman, and that's exactly what we see here. I mean, he starts off and he is just like that. He is childish to to a T. Like he gets he gets really mad in Lego movie, you know, a couple times. And, uh, and in here, you know, one of my favorite moments is, is him and Alfred. And when Alfred tells him to go to bed or, um, not tells him to go to bed, uh, tells him to go to the, <laughs> the retirement, Gordon's retirement, I think it is. And he, he's like, no, I don't want to. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. He starts <laughs> flopping around like a fish, like all over the stairs. <laughs> Oh, well, it's like a little kid. It's like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum. I'm just imagining it. No, no, oh, no, so no, good. no. It's so good. <laughs> but like again, you know, it's it's every little aspect of different Batman's that we've seen in cinema and TV yeah. and video game, and they they gave him all of those characteristics. How do they do it? I don't know, but they they seem to manage to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I just love it. I think you know his his the jokes are just off the chain and, and i guess i'm curious what some of your favorite jokes were honestly like what, what are some of your oh, favorite gosh. references that you remember the most um so i i loved i i grew up i said grew up um i watched on nick at night watching the 1960s batman me with as adam w- west me as well and i love the computer voice atomic batteries to power turbines to speed i love that the the code to get into the bat cave is iron man sucks i thought that was fantastic um i think 
I think for me, some of the <laughs> some of the jokes that that weren't really. Gosh, I'm trying to even think. I there were so many of them that I'm trying to spec. I'm, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to bring them to mind. I think some of the visual gags were what what did it for me. Were like some of the facial expressions that these characters would make. Um, oh, near the beginning when when the Joker was you know kind of <laughs> he was kind of describing his whole plan to the uh, pilot of the airplane and either he starts naming off all these characters, these, these villains. And we get, you know, he names off the ones that like, you know, the Riddler and two face and Bane. And then he starts naming like all of these <laughs> ridiculous, like condiment man. That's my and... son's favorite. We left the movie theater and he's like, dad, I want to see a condiment man movie. Like, Dude, what? I would pay money for that. <laughs> Not much, but I would pay money for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just, I think overall for me, um, it's the, it's the fact that these guys who wrote the movie, Seth Graham Smith, I think, was the one who wrote the screenplay and the story. He he knows that Batman as a character is it can be so campy and so over the top, and that he's seen that way, that he felt like. I mean, I I think he, you know this is me talking for him, so I apologize if, if he's listening. But I but I feel like he said, you know what we can amplify that and make it hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the strength of Batman is that, I mean, you heard me talk about it on the dark Knight. you know, how the one of the things that kind of threw me out was Christian Bale's Batman voice. You know, I'm not wearing hockey pants. You know what? You know, it's a funny joke, but the whole time I'm hearing Christian Bale talk, it's like, that's what? And I, and I think that's, that's kind of what made the jokes work for me was that everything was completely over the top and campy and it played on the tropes of this character that people have loved for so many years. And that was risky. I mean, I think that there was some testing of that in the Lego movie. But but I think when you take a full-on movie and you center around this character that you're basically going to make fun of and and play to the, you know, the strengths and weaknesses and, and use them for fodder, I think that can be very risky. But for a guy like me, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, and you know, we we're so used to the iterations of Batman that we've gotten in the last couple decades have been the complete opposite of this camp. They've been why so serious, right? I mean, right, it's it's right. both both Bale's Batman, um, you know, Affleck's Batman last year, and then even somewhat going back to Keaton, you know, it was mm-hmm. a little bit more of camp base in there, but you know, for a long time, that's the Batman that we've had. And yeah, they were being sold as serious Batman. They weren't being made to be campy like Batman 66. Like Adam West was clearly a campy Batman and was made to be that. And that's, what's so awesome about this is it's paying homage to that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's literally deconstructing (laughs) the idea of that serious Batman and taking all of the pieces of all the different ones and put them together. There's a great joke about the the first joke that they made about the uh, Michael Keaton's re- original Batman, I think in 1989 or whatever it was, um, cracked me up. And I I was I kept leaning over to my kids because like I was realized that they're not going to get some of these references. Um, mm-hmm. But they made a joke about uh, Prince uh, and a parade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know. And I just I mean I'm out loud like reacting um, mm-hmm. because you just can't hold it in, and that's that's a pretty awesome feeling. 
Mm-hmm. So a couple of my favorites, um, the shark repellent in particular was a yes. big deal for me because again, that goes back to the campy Batman where mm-hmm. he would have this shark repellent <laughs> on his like utility belt and, and it would never ever be useful. And we get him saying the same thing to Robin here. And he's like, yeah, that's you, whatever you can have that. That isn't, that hasn't ever come into use. And of course, <laughs> of course they had to make it come into use. You know, there's a shark, like a random shark. Oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was that one. There was a a Twilight Zone reference. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's a very famous episode of the Twilight Zone, and it is evading me what it is called. Something at sixty thousand feet or something. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Death at sixty thousand uh, feet or something. But anyway, it's all about a plane flying, and uh, the pilot thinks he has a gremlin on the wing. Right. And and sure enough, here we have gremlins on the wings <laughs> tearing the plane apart right um they were just kind of they were kind of awesome i mean when robin turns into nightwing because he oh, decides gosh. to go yeah. off on his own and like he talks he he's like expository about like his feelings at that moment he's like mm-hmm. oh and i'm gonna go off and do it on my own then and then he becomes <laughs> nightwing in order to do that just <laughs> the tie in there of the difference in Dick Grayson and, and Tim Drake's, um, you know, different characters that had played Robin mm-hmm. and what night, how Nightwing acts in the comics versus how a Robin acts in the comics. It, it's all brilliantly done. The penguins, the penguins. I was trying mm-hmm. to explain to my kids about the penguins. Cause there were the penguins with the little missiles from, uh, Batman returns. And then you get them in this movie and you get to see them like flopping on into the water, like a little army going to war. And I just, I mean, it was a constant flow of me just geeking out. I I, li- I literally had a smile on my face from start to finish of this movie. Um, and I kind of freaked out at a moment. So, so when you first saw this before I did, I remember you texted me afterwards and you said, don't worry, you're going to love this, which really got me excited because you know me and you know I love Batman. And so... For you to kind of put me at ease right off the bat, for me to know, okay, if my best friend knows that I'm going to respect this and I'm going to enjoy it, I know I'm in for something special. And I pretty much knew right away kind of what your text, even though it had, it, it never <laughs> said anything related to this, but I knew what that was about. <laughs> because for anybody that knows me, I my biggest fantasy property, my biggest fandom uh, you know, Batman may be my favorite superhero. But my favorite thing is Lord of the Rings. So when I see <laughs> the Eye of Sauron working for the Joker, I about lost it, Patrick. I about lost it. And my kids <laughs> lost it because they knew. And then my kids lost it because they saw Voldemort. And then mm-hmm. it just kept going because we got Daleks. And I, I lost my mind. And if you would have told me before this movie started, that they were going to cram all these other properties into this movie on top of all the superheroes we got and try to make them, them integral into the plot, I would have been so completely worried because yeah. I would have thought that there's no way that could work. And they right. totally made it work. They did. They absolutely did. And when I saw that, um, in, in fact, I didn't even see the characters first. I heard... You know, I heard Wingardium Leviosa, and I was like, "What was that? Was that Voldemort?" <laughs> and then I, 
And then I saw some gremlins and I was like, oh my word, they're going to use as many WB properties as they can to create something here. And this is before we really got the the overall picture of what the story was going to be about. And as someone who can just appreciate subtlety, to me that felt very subtle. I mean, as as wild and crazy as that was, the fact that the creators wanted to say, you know what, let's just let's just get even more meta. Let's tap into other properties that don't exist in the world of DC. And <laughs> I actually went home, I kid you not, and of the ones that I could remember, I, I tried to just validate, <laughs> you know, was this a Warner Brothers property? Was this a Warner Brothers property? Because I knew Harry Potter was, yes. I knew yeah. Lord of the Rings was. Mm-hmm. And, but I was like, was Gremlins? And then, of course, I looked it up. And sure enough, a Warner Brothers property. And then, of course, they used other properties that were kind of in the public domain, like uh, like Dorothy or the, the Wicked Witch of the West and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, it, it blows my mind that you, you know, we talked about these these tertiary characters that didn't necessarily need arcs. and But at the same time, you bring in all these other characters that didn't have really any logical business being in a Batman movie. And now you've actually given them somewhat of a purpose, although not individually, you've given them sort of a team purpose, which really kind of amplified one of the themes of the movie and, and did it in such a kind of a, kind of a twisty way that I thought was just incredibly entertaining. Yeah. And I thought as well that they were necessary. I mean, when you see right off the bat in that first, you know, brilliant 30 minute action moments, or scene, or I guess it maybe not it was thirty minutes, but it was, it was a long opening action stuff. Um, we see Batman whooping butt over all of the criminals of Gotham. He beats them all by himself and doesn't even break a sweat. So it makes the fact that the Joker is bringing in these characters from other worlds actually have logical sense to it, like. He couldn't just beat Batman. He he needed help. He needed these other villains to do that. And so when given that opportunity or when, when he comes up with this idea for that opportunity, you know, why wouldn't he do that? It, so it, it does work with the story. You know what I mean? And, and I think mm-hmm. that was such a stroke of genius because it's not just shoehorned in there to, you know, sell or make you know, get props for, to their own properties and try to exactly. get you to go spend money on their other stuff. They, right. I mean, I'm sure that that's a, a byproduct, but it worked in the story. Exactly. So, like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good. Mm-hmm. I also thought that the, the relationships between like the main set of DC villains and kind of the group that they formed kind of a versus the <laughs> the the what I would call the the outer world WB properties <laughs> how they formed their own little little group I thought that was interesting because at some point when I saw those new characters from the other properties I thought oh my goodness now there's going to be one giant team of villains and then we get something completely different and the you know the resolution to everything involved a team up that was completely unconventional i thought that was great i thought that you had a a different way to tell a story that whose message was could be considered commonplace i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a message that is very much something we've all heard before and 
I think that, you know, there, there's a, there's truth in the statement that that ideas aren't new; they're just refreshed. And I think this was an example of a refreshed idea, and the way in which that story was told, I think, is what made it both entertaining and made it resonate and made it stick. Yeah, I agree. And that 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 com- concept of team carries over too from mm-hmm. the Lego Movie. You know, that was very much a, a movie that focused on the idea that you can't do things alone. And yet we have these two different characters, Emmett and Batman, who are both loners, mm-hmm. but they're in a different way. Emmett it just doesn't he's, – he's kind of invisible. He doesn't excite anybody. He doesn't draw any attention to himself. Batman pushes people away. Um, and he draws all the attention to and himself. He draws all <laughs> the attention to himself, yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, I loved it. I love that they were tackling – his very real fear of having anyone else close to him due to his parents' mm-hmm. death because he yeah. always wanted to protect people instead. And I feel like that's something that both kids and adults can relate to if they've lost someone in their life, that feeling of wanting isolation just to protect yourself. And I couldn't believe it that they were handling it with such like a respectful and gentle way and it mixed it in with humor. And I, I mean, the people that, I do not understand the criticisms that this film will get inevitably about lack of a, a, you know, enough of a story and it's going to happen. And I I don't think that that's fair because this movie is not made to be a two hour long dramatic piece that Mm -hmm. like I watched nocturnal animals the other night, Patrick, and and this is a film you don't need to watch. (laughs) So you you can plan on skipping this one. Okay, check. <laughs> but it is so – it tries so hard to be edgy and to kind of give you these shocking images and shocking performances and really off-the-wall concepts to try and get across its emotional punch and point to show you its lessons about mm-hmm. you know regret and living with you know not having done the thing that you wished you would have done. And mm-hmm. like Batman is telling a very important – story here and and it's, it's dealing with very big things and, and emotions and, and it's things that you, you're doing in a kid's movie that you can so subtly let a kid see, Hey, when you're feeling like that, it's probably going to be better if you let some friends in and let them yeah. help you. Yeah. I yeah, love here's it. Where, here's where I think the strength of this movie is one, the way in which the story is told makes it approachable. I mean, you just, you actually made that point for me. So you just said, Nocturnal Animals is not a movie you need to see or that it wouldn't be on your radar. And that's fine. Everything is subjective. I mean, some, we all have our own personal tastes and I have no problem saying that's not a movie I want to see. I would not say everybody needs to go see the Batman movie necessarily because it's got a great message. It does have a great message. I would say go see the Lego Batman movie because it's an incredibly entertaining film and at the heart of it is something that is pretty important and very approachable by a lot of people or for, for, for a lot of people and for all of us actually. But I would also say that that can be mistranslated as being contrived, it can be mistranslated as being kind of shallow because it doesn't have these complex themes upon complex themes upon complex themes when in reality, sometimes you don't need that. In fact, that's, that's one of the places where, you know, my heart kind of breaks because I want to see 
a, a Lego Superman movie. I want to see one so badly because I've seen how these characters, not only in in their own like you know little cartoon series that my son watches sometimes, how how fun they can be and and how they can tell kind of a fun story. But I know that if you give Superman a standalone Lego movie, it's going to be incredibly tough for him to to be as successful as Batman. And I'm not going to try to compare the two. I don't want to do that. But no. I think that because there, there's a complex, there's a complexity with Superman. Superman can't be campy. He can't, I mean, you can try to make him that way, but he comes across as offensive. <laughs> and you can't make him overly serious because then you get the Batman v Superman argument, which, by the way, any comparison between this and Batman v Superman, I think is kind of ridiculous. Um, I, I saw a meme <laughs> go by having to do with uh, the the Rotten Tomato score and how you compared one to the other, and I'm like, what are you doing? You're just you're comparing a cartoon, yep. an animated cartoon about a campy superhero, with a full feature three and a half hour film. It's got great jokes about that though. That and Suicide Squad. <laughs> like, what are we gonna oh, yeah. do? Yeah, you know, a team up of using a team of all the the criminals. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they were able to make fun of themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry, and I, I, and I you. but I think that I think that gives more respect to the Lego Batman movie as a as a film. Is that look, the you know I'm not going to speak for the studio. I mean I'm going to make my own assumption and saying look, people know, studios know when when things aren't successful when they have issues. And I love that that Warner Brothers Animation has the freedom to be able to say look, <laughs> there were some issues going on. In past properties, there's campiness in Batman and Robin with you know the 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 nipple suit or whatever and all that weird stuff. And you know what? We're going to call attention to that because the best way that you can make something approachable or someone approachable is by self-deprecation. I mean, that's what that's what some successful stand-up comedians do. They self-deprecate. It gets them into a place where an audience can go, <laughs> "If you can laugh at yourself, then I can laugh with you." Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this this movie works so well is in, in some ways WD animation, which is just killing it. I mean, absolutely killing it. Not only with these Lego movies, but with the other like more adult themed, you know, based after like the new 52 and whatnot, they have the ability to say, we know where our missteps were and we're okay acknowledging those. Um, and I think this is a great safe place to do that. Uh, and so all respect goes to, goes to the studio for being able to be very honest about that and, and at the same time, be proud because you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to make fun of yourself if you're not proud of the, of the path that led you to where you are today, because none of those jokes would exist had those properties not been there in the first place. Yeah. That, that's the point I was getting ready to make, man. I, I love, that was like a psychic segue right there. Um, my kids have done. Oh, yes. They I haven't stopped too. doing it. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> it's so good. And that, that and my daughter is a huge, we're, we're cat lovers and especially oh, yeah. even more than me. And so now today we were at soccer and everything she would say, she'd be like, I'll be right back, dad. I'm going to walk around the track. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> and she would just throw, uh, oh goodness. It's so funny. Uh, so good. So yeah. Good. I, I love it, man. I, I, <laughs> I can't wait to see it again. I'm going to have to go see it again. Um, but the the point I was going to make that you so um, expertly transitioned for me was that without those missteps or what people may now quote call 
a misstep or a bad film, you would not have had the opportunity to make a film like this that makes fun of them. And and so it's like assigning retroactive value to them, even though it's not in the same way that maybe we, them or the studio, were expecting to have value when they exactly. first came out. Um, and it it kind of is is a really big lesson that you can take forward and it you know that every movie makes us feel something that's our statement and so everything is a piece of art everything is worth something the fact that it was created the worst thing for me maybe someone else's opus um but there's always something you know even if it's a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. It has, maybe it has value as a mystery science theater 3000 piece. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and you can't have mystery science theater 3000 without terrible movies. So it, it works. Um, and yeah, I just, (laughs) well, and let me just say this, there's, there's the value of laughter. And this was Mm, something that the whole Marvel DC argument that continues to go on to this day. Um, is this about, you know, Marvel funny, DC not, you know, why so serious, that kind of thing. And in some aspects, there's some real truth to that because humor, the ability to laugh creates vulnerability with people. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking from a psychological point of view and I think that that vulnerability, uh, translates to approachability. And when you have a movie like this, that is filled with so many jokes, whether they're, you know, making fun of themselves or other properties or, pop culture in general or whatever, when you can get your audience laughing, you've already created a sense of community with that audience. And I think that's part of what the Lego Batman movie does successfully is it's not just about joke after joke after joke and about let's get as many old Batman references as we can in there, but it's about let's, let's, let's give these guys a reason to laugh that makes them feel safe. You know, because there's, I mean, there's the type of humor that exists where you're like, oh, should I laugh at that? That's kind of offensive. And there's the kind of humor that you're like, that's like, you know, slapstick comedy or whatever. And then there's this kind of humor, which is like, look, <laughs> we want you to laugh. And when you mentioned Mystery Science Theater, that's what got me thinking. People need to laugh. And MST is one of my favorite properties, my favorite series, because of the fact that not only because it was funny to watch, but because you and I and the three other guys in our crew back in high school, that's what we bonded over. Yes. You know, that's what we did. We, we came together and we said, let's watch this. Hold me because... closer, tiny death. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a bonus episode or something. I think we need to do a bonus episode. <laughs> but I think that there's some real, I mean, there's some real value in that because it brings people together. It creates a team of some case of, of some, you know, in some, in some weird way that, we now have common ground that if we don't agree on 50 things, we at least agree on that. And I think that that's part of what this story is trying to tell is that what's that common ground? You know, what is it about Batman as a character that these other people are kind of connected with? And what is it about them that he connects with? And I, you know, it, it, it's, it's cool, man. I like seeing that in the, in the movie. Me too. And I, I know we're going to talk, I think about Joker's arc and we can, we can just save that and do that here shortly. And when we get to the connecting point, um, cause I think that that's where that's going to probably come play out the most. But I, I also was just really pleased that Robin was more than a side character that was just there for, for gags 
because the trailers made me think that that was what it was going to be. He was going to be there for comedic relief and, you know, just to poke fun at. Um, but, you know, we got an awesomely deep story here about Robin. I mean, frankly, to me, I left with a strong pro-adoption message from this movie telling me, hey, listen, you know, look at these orphans. You know, they're growing up. And they don't have family. And look look what it's like for them. Look how look how much they're seeking attention from others. It also reminded me of another one of my favorite animated movies where it goes badly because the the superhero rejects the orphan or the rejects the kid that's that's seeking out the the superhero and that's the incredibles. You know, ultimately uh, when uh, I forgot, I can't think of his name. Um <laughs> I can't either. I can't think of the villain. Um when he reaches out and Mr. Incredible's like, no, and doesn't, doesn't want to give him an autograph or doesn't want to, you know, I think it's buddies is his name as a kid. Doesn't want to let him tag along. You know, it ends up pushing him into super villain uh, zone where he eventually, you know, ends up dying. <laughs> and here we have another, you know, like young kid who's obsessed with Batman and, you know, just wants to, just wants to be like him. Just wants to, to, get a chance to to see what it's like and 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 to learn about him and be talk to him and things and and Batman again he's he's like he doesn't even see him he doesn't even see the kid and how many of these people are in our lives that we could interact with on a daily basis and they, and they don't have to be orphans of course mm-hmm. but yeah. you know who in your life is trying to connect with you that you're pushing away because you're you're selfish and because you're you're thinking about your own plan or your own way um, and that was yeah. something that I took out of this film that I, you know, is like a life lesson to think about going forward. Well, and I loved in, in that same vein, I loved the relationship that that Batman has with Alfred and how Alfred's not afraid to kind of put him on the floor and, and you know, give him some kind of verbal discipline. Oh, Alfred's fantastic but, in this one. I mean, he just the particular scene that I'm thinking of is the one where he is, you know, he he it's after the kind of adoption that. <laughs> that Batman didn't realize happened and Alfred and they, he actually goes back to this in kind of a kind of a flashback but Alfred says something along the lines of um are you going to give him a chance or are you going to you know you know you know pull him into your world in the way in which I pulled you into mine and the first time that that line landed it ended up being sort of a a throwaway joke, but later on, you know, coming back to that, it had a deeper meaning to it because of what we had seen play out as the movie went on. And it gave kind of new weight to Alfred's relationship that Alfred is a father figure to Bruce Wayne or to Batman. Um, and, and it's, it's neat when you, when you, when you frame that relationship in this movie with those two types of characters and we that, but when, okay yes we're definitely gonna spotlight this it's it's very genuine um to see how looking back on the other scenes with before with alfred and 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 batman how that is a father-son relationship you know the 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 scene that you pointed out that was really funny where he's like rolling around on the floor you know like no 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 you know that part right there yeah as funny as it is it's what a kid does when he throws a temper tantrum in front of his parent. Yep. And it starts as a joke 
But then you see later on, you know what? It's a father-son relationship. And uh, I thought that was um, kind of a, a great little subtlety that the writers did in terms of how they they crafted each scene uh, to kind of pay off that moment that was a joke before, but it really kind of, you know, had some kind of deeper, deeper visual uh, message underneath. Yep. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Well, unless you have something else that you want to cover, I think I'm ready to get into our connecting points and to talk a little about the good old Joker. Let's do it, man. Why don't you start us off? What was okay. your connecting point? Well, I I wanted to connect a lot of things. I wanted to connect that opening <laughs> that opening monologue <laughs> and the closing monologue and the songs and everything. It was just so good. But um, there were several moments in particular between Batman and the Joker. And we know, uh, even if you're not a regular reader of the comics, you know that by just sheer general knowledge, the Joker is Batman's number one nemesis. And just like a lot of the tropes and a lot of the comic book facts I thought, that I thought it was Superman. <laughs> according to Will Arnett's Batman, it is. <laughs> but I'm going off the general public of what the general public kind of assumes. So, so we'll, we'll go with that. But you have um, you have the Joker as being kind of his number one. And what I loved was the fact that the writers decided, you know what, let's let's amplify that. And we talk about relationships and we talk about mattering to people. And there was this moment after that first initial battle where the Joker's like, I need, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm your worst enemy. You know, you're, you're going to need me. And he goes, no, I don't need you. I don't need anybody. And it's this back and forth dialogue between, between him and the Joker where the Joker's making, you know, an argument like you need me. And Batman's like, no, I don't need you. You know, I don't need anybody. And he's, he's holding, he's doing, you know, he's holding this thing and, and, and he's holding the Joker and he's holding, I think the, the organs or something like that. I can't remember, but it, it did two things for me. It, one, it reminded me of just how much heart that a simple animated feature driven by toys, of all things, can have. And the fact that it helped set up what the movie was really going to be about in the, in the fact that this guy who lives in isolation, his identity is, you know, for for him, it's wrapped up in who he is. And he doesn't see how his relationship is identified and reflected by the people around him. And, you know, the thing that really kind of just connected me was these facial expressions. There was no dialogue, like, that dialogue happened and then there was like this, the slow back and forth camera from, from Batman's face of just real pensive, like serious, like, you know, I don't need this. Uh, or you and the Joker just being very, <laughs> like, I felt sorry for the Joker. I felt sorry for the fact that, that he's now lost he's lost his enemy, which again paid itself off at the very end when when the Joker and Batman are hugging and Joker and Batman's like I hate you and Joker's like no I hate you more and then I hate just this 
<laughs> where you would normally include like you know, you normally say I love you, I love you more, no, I love you more. It's just just this weird like you're my worst enemy and I love it, you know that kind of thing. But the fact that that one particular scene really helped set the stage for the entire plot of the movie, um, the heart that was going to be uh, just expressed throughout the different uh, the different moments i really think that started the uh that that point i really connected and wanted to kind of see where it was going to go from there and you know when you can find a way to get me to care about inanimate objects and make me laugh at the same time you're absolutely doing something right and i felt like I was going to be in for a fun ride after that first scene. And then at the end of that scene with that conversation, I was going to be in for more than just jokes, which really made me excited to finish the film. Well, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, I really could. And that's, it's my connecting point as well is the first scene there between Batman and the Joker. Um, I, I debated long and hard about which one to choose because I felt a strong connection to, to quite a few of them there were several moments between Batman and Joker that kind of reinforced this idea and slowly built upon it. Uh, and I think that this one more than any was the strongest. And it was like you said, it was such a stark contrast at that point to the opening of the film that it really impacted me emotionally. And it really changed the way that I viewed or changed my expectations for how I was going to view the remaining rest of the film. Um, I really enjoyed seeing him humanized. Like you said, uh, despite the fact that he is just this completely evil, psychotic villain and just showing us that he has the same human need for companionship and validation that everybody does. Um, I thought that was a a great relatable moment, you know, for all of us and for kids that even the bad guy, has feelings and has a reason for what he's doing. And, and he has needs, human, basic human needs. Um, and, and I too, man, my heart was breaking for him. And I think that that is just an incredible praise for both the writing and the animation, the the facial expressions. Gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned them. How (laughs) I, the fact that I literally got teary eyed watching some lines being drawn in a different shape on a blank Lego head is I, I got no words for that. Like, <laughs> that's not supposed to happen, you know? Right. But I did, I did. I, I was emotional. I never, I never cried in this movie, but I definitely felt it welling up inside me. Um, and a large part of it was related to this. And then, I kind of, I haven't really said this, but a lot, another part of why I think I got very emotionally affected was because I was in such joy for the entire runtime of this movie. I actually smiled so much that I think it made me teary. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Patrick, or, or listeners out there. If you have, if you have, please somebody come onto Facebook or Twitter and contact me and tell me that I am not alone. So I do not feel completely cheesy right now. But, or completely like Batman. Hello. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you. But, but honestly, I I was so happy with this movie that it made me have those those tears in my eyes. You know, we hear the we hear that phrase, tears of joy. 
but that I, I think it's a real thing because I felt like that's what I was having watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a big part of it was this relationship. Uh, and the fact that it doesn't wrap it up, you know, at the end of the day, they still are going to be battling each other. The, 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 uh, the roles have not changed, but there is a new respect and an understanding and a need for each other that, I mean, it transcends anything the comics has even been able to do so far. Like, how do you, how do you tell a new story with Batman and the Joker? All right. And you did it in Legos. That's crazy. It's such an accomplishment. Um, and it all yeah. boils down to how they handled this, which was completely Absolutely. unexpected to me. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting this weight. I would venture to guess that in my amateur psychological chair that I'm projecting onto you, I would say that you were proud of this movie. I think that as a Batman fan, you walked away saying that was a phenomenal representation of one of my favorite characters. And, you know, that's that's what I long for. I mean... I'm the first to admit that Man of Steel was not my favorite iteration of, of the Big Blue Boy Scout. <laughs> my hope is that maybe a future installment will will get that wrapped up where I can say, I can walk out of a theater and go, man, I was proud of that. Um, not from a filmmaking standpoint, but from a, just a love for a character. And I think there's something really special about that. You know, I walked away not having that same feeling, but feeling very happy that I got to experience this feeling very happy that I got to watch this because, you know, if, if you look in my to, to watch list, if you look at my, 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 I need to see these movies on Letterboxd, you'll see there's a lot of downers in there. There's not a lot of like happy, happy movies. And I remember going, man, I need to get some more, you know, happy movies, but I don't want just stupid comedy. I don't want something that's just going to make me laugh. For me, this movie came along at just the right time I left the theater and I said, gosh, I'm so glad I saw that. And I'm so excited to be able to talk about this with somebody who I know is absolutely going to love it. And when you have that expectation going in um, of hope and that hope is fulfilled and exceeded, it just leaves you with this feeling of real satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, we can all admit that when we go to movies, we don't I think we want something to be successful. I think. You know, as a side note, I think a lot of this talk about BVS was that people wanted it to be amazing. Right. And it let them down. And so you either get on the side of saying, well, I'm going to defend this just on principle, or I'm going to point out all the good things. And, you know, that's kind of what we do. Or you can get on the bad and say, well, that's a waste of time. That's trash. Let's just go ahead and just throw it in the trash bucket and not worry about it. I mean, there's no place to be kind of, it was an okay movie because you don't want to admit that your favorite superhero is a co-star in just an okay movie. You don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that, but I've learned to kind of be a little bit more <laughs> okay with that, which is why I hope that maybe if there's a Lego Superman movie, it meets or exceeds my expectations. But anyway, so I can get what you're saying on a, on a different level. And I'm really glad that you experienced that the way you did. Yeah, me too. And I, you know, with what you're saying, I actually walked out with one of my first thoughts being, man, I w- hope that they give us a Lego Superman like this for Patrick. Um, and I think that's the awesome thing and ties to what you were just getting at is, you know, you knew that I, you knew how I was going to react to this. And and I knew that you knew that <laughs> as I was reacting. Um, <laughs> and it's awesome. I <laughs> know. Right. It's awesome <laughs> to have that relationship with someone who, 
you can go and you can enjoy those characters with and experience that with. And we, we did the same thing um, to a different, ex- a different type of thing with, though with BVS, like we got to talk about that and how our characters mm-hmm. were, what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them. We, we knew when each other's favorite was getting it. Like when I saw the flash, the stuff with the mm-hmm. flash, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about what Patrick is going to think because I know that's his guy. Yeah. Um, and I love how that works into, mm-hmm. um, movies like this. And you said something off air that I just want to quickly touch on as we wrap up. Um, and that is, uh, I think it was you. I don't remember who it was now. <laughs> I'm going to credit it to you. But someone said this and uh, maybe I read it on letterbox in hindsight. Someone suggested, when are we going to get Lego Marvel versus DC? Because mm. you had, they have the rights Lego does now. WB doesn't. But Lego does. When can we get them to give us that? Can you imagine? Because that can never happen in live action. There's no way. The the actors involved, the the money, the the sheer vault, it just couldn't work. But it could work in the animated world. Sure could. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Oh gosh. Even if you know how many billions of dollars Iron Man does suck. (laughs) That's such a great joke. Iron Man doesn't suck, but that's such a fantastic joke because Iron Man is the Batman of the Marvel universe. Really? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So good. So good, man. I, yeah, I love this one. Um, wholeheartedly. I I can't wait to go see it again in the theater. I can't, I can't wait till it comes out on video. I mean, obviously I'm going to own it, uh, but I can't, I can't wait that long. So (laughs) I'll have to do the same thing you did. Yep. 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 Well, man, let's get to our wrap up. And, uh, even though we could probably talk about this for another couple of hours and maybe we will offline, but, uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to continue the discussion? Well, they can find me at Aaron L white, A A R O N E L W H I T E. That's on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, pretty much everywhere under that handle. You can also reach us, uh, in the Facebook group, as I mentioned before, very active in that. So if you come join that, you can talk to me as well as Patrick and all of our other listeners that are interacting there. What about you? Where can they find you, bud? Uh, look for me at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook by that same lovely username. You can also find out more about me at my website, thisispatch.com. And if you want to find more about the show, past episodes, blog posts by some of our contributors, you can find all that at feelinfilm.com. Lastly, we just want to say that we have been running for the last week a listener vote for two listener pick episodes. So what we did is we took nominations for those using the Feel This Film hashtag all over the web, whether it was Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We put them all into a ranker post, and you had to be a member of our Facebook group to vote, so uh, it's going to be like that for the second one as well. Uh, feel free to to come join the group and you'll be able to do that as well. But it's been a lot of fun watching the voting over the last week go up and down. And and I thought for sure we were going to have, I mean, I thought midweek, I thought Scott Pilgrim was running away with it, Patrick. Uh, And I have just refreshed. And in the last hours, uh, last of the Mohicans has jumped to the very, very top of the poll and, and by a large margin, I will say. So that means that next week's episode, 
by listener pick is going to be Last of the Mohicans. I couldn't be happier, frankly, because this is in my top 50 of all time. Uh, this is a phenomenal score to this movie. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, There's pretty much nothing I don't love about this film. So I'm excited to talk about it. The other shock, though, of this poll for me was that out of nowhere, I saw Gattaca jump to number two. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> where did that come from? Um, what we're going to do is we are going to reset the poll starting tomorrow. We're going to take it down and we're going to put it back up uh, with everything except Last of Mohicans and let the ranking restart for the second episode, which will be in March. So you got time to come join the Facebook group and you can get that link there and be a part of picking that listener picked episode in early March. Very cool, man. So as we always say, until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film.